The um, topic at today is has has a whole lot to do with a Memorial Day, and it was complete coincidence. I, I would love to have claimed that ahead of time, but I realized after the fact that I had completely missed the coincidence. But it's we're talk today. We are talking about Memorial Day, but we're not talking about the United States Memorial Day. We're going to talk about a different Memorial Day. Um. And we're going to relate it to the covenants, Moses, Passover, and Christ. And as I was talking to my daughter yesterday, when you talk big, big topics, the first thing you have to do is rein it in. Because there's so many details and so many relationships. Where do you stop? Where do you draw that line and you just can't see no more? We're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. Um, that's why I got this up here. Um, So we're not going to get all the details. So you're going to think about some details that I missed, couldn't include, because the subject matter is just too vast. Um, But I hope I will bring back to your memory this memorial, this timeless memorial, one that was for the Jews, but is now for the world. We're going to start with John the Baptist. We're going to kind of jump in the middle here a little bit because of something that he said. John 1. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, so John declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me is coming a man who has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. So when John said that, you know, what do you think jumped into the people's minds? <laughs> well, when you think about the Lamb of God part, what would they think? Well, there's actually a, that's one of those things where you're going to think, of, if I talked, if I asked you about Memorial Day, what are you going to think about? Well, oh my gosh, there's so many things you can think about. But to the Jew, the Lamb of God, well, there's a number of things they might think about, frankly. Relating back to Moses and some other things, we're going to talk about some of those. And the interesting thing about the Lamb of God, and especially if you're talking about Passover, because um, Passover is one thing, and the temple and the, the Day of Atonement is actually something different. So when he says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, actually John's kind of branching out on subject matter already. Um, this is one thing. Whoops, wrong button. Uh-oh, did I hit a bad button? The timer's blinking. What did I hit? There we got it. Abraham and Isaac. So this is one of the things that probably jumped into people's heads when John said that. Genesis chapter 22. Now, it came back after these things that God tested Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, a lot of people think they speculate about what mountain is that, and it might be like where the temple is or where Christ was crucified, by the way, but we can't ever be sure. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. So don't miss 
the 2,000 years ahead of time simple, that somebody's son has wood on his back going to be sacrificed. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham, and he said, "Uh, Dad, (laughs) my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the land for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. We're not going to do the whole story. But this is what me, when, when John says, behold, the lamb of God, this is, a, I'm, I almost guarantee you, somebody thought about this. And God will provide the lamb. And they go, oh, I remember that story. I remember that history. Um, God will provide the lamb. Israel's feasts. Um, why are we talking about this? Because we're going to hone in on one of them. The feasts of Passover. Boy, there is an important one. That's what we've been talking about today, of course, a little bit. Back to Exodus 12. And, of course, that is the Passover. And it's associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we're going to see that today in a number of different places. There's the Day of Atonement. Which is interesting because you talk, when you talk about the Lamb of God, when John said the Lamb of God, but he says that who takes away the sin of the world. Well, the taking away the sin of the world, that's more of a day of atonement temple thing, which is interesting. Yeah, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Booths, the Jews in their, in their tents and temporary wandering and all that, Feast of Trumpets, and then later the Feast of Purim, which is much later, a thousand years later with Esther, 1,100 years later, and the Feast of Dedication associated with Hanukkah, which is... 1,400 years after Moses-ish, 1,400 years, 1,300 years. Um, but we're going to talk about kind of the really the most important one or the one that's memorialized the most. Moses and the, the Passover. This is the, what they, the definite article. Moses and the Passover. Exodus 12. Now the Lord's, so we're going we're gonna to read some scripture. Rather than just talking about it, we're going to read it. And believe me, this is edited way down. Um, now, Mo, now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. There's a beginning here. And that's part of Passover, what we're going to be getting into. There's a beginning here. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are, each one, to take a lamb for themselves, according to the father's households, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So it's just young. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. You're going to be associated with this lamb. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Very interesting word there. I find the drama of it applicable. Slaughter. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. 
So remember, Passover, we're talking a meal. When you think Passover, you should literally think of eating. Eating is and Passover go together. Put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night. This is the Passover lamb, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread. Remember, we talk about unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now you shall eat it in this way with your garment belted around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you'll eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So what's, so, okay, Passover, we got this eating thing. We got this, this lamb. But what is the mentality of, of these people group? It's like, we're, something's about to begin. Something's about to start. We're going somewhere. This is like one of those cheesy graduation ceremonies when they say, the first step is the first step of the journey of the rest of your life, right? You know, how many times have you heard that one? Well, that one is eerily appropriate here. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. Why? This is Israel, a bunch of slaves. That's all they are, folks. They know of granddaddy. They know of Abraham. They know the 12 patriarchs. And they know, they're long since dead, hundreds of years dead. And they're just a bunch of slaves. But they're going somewhere. Something's changing. Passover is associated with change and the beginning of something new. Now this day shall be a memorial to you. It's a memorial. This is the event. But you're going to have a memorial day going on into the future. And you shall celebrate as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it. Don't forget. As a permanent ordinance, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread, which is associated directly with the Passover. For on this very day I brought your multitudes out of the land of Egypt. Well, there we go. Why do they have to be ready to go? Right, get your staff in your hand. You eat it in a hurry because you are leaving Egypt. Who are you? You're a bunch of slaves. You're nobody. You're, you're Israelites and stuff, but you're the disseminated group of slaves. That's all you are is a bunch of slaves. But you're being led out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. It's to be a memorial. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Folks, God brings judgments and it's brutal at times. Brutal. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. Hence the word Passover. In case you didn't know that, it is literal. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. 
Don't jump to the end. What does this say about the blood of Jesus? Is the destroyer going to come into your house? That's later. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt for the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. Everybody's alike. Everybody's judged. And all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. What's the go? The exodus. This is why they're ready. Passover happened. They're ready. They're told by their old master, go, because they're free. Passover is a transition. It is a mammoth transition to Israel from slavery to freedom. Okay, don't get whiplash. We're going to jump 1,500 years. Oh my, a lot of history. So the Passover has been a memorial for 1,500 years minus all the years that they skipped it because they forgot about it. And it's a funny thing, what is it when they found the book? What is that, like 700-ish B.C.? Now I forget the exact date. They found the book. Uh, and they said, look, we found the book of the Lord. They found part of the Old Testament. They had, they had lost it. I mean, really? And they go, let's look. There's something called Passover we're supposed to celebrate. And then guess what they did? They celebrated the Passover. And they don't talk about any of these other festivals. Obviously, not the later ones, but, but they do talk about, let's celebrate Passover. This is important. 1,500 years later, <laughs> the claims of Christ. Now, this is when Jesus is going to be saying some things, and people are going to do a double take. John chapter 6, so then the Jews were complaining about him because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Of course, that's a direct analogy to the, when the Jews were wandering and they had the manna, which is the bread which came down out of heaven. So what he's saying is intense to their listeners. It is intense what he is saying. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? You remember that carpenter over on Whitaker or whatever? You know, <laughs> this is what they're saying. I know who you are. What are you talking? What are you, why are you saying this stuff? Who are you? You're just some stupid kid from over yonder. We know who you are, right? This is, this is a very human response. It's a very human, very predictable response. There's no, no surprise here. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus continues a few verses later. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, 
and they died. So he's already implicitly commenting about the old covenant. There's some, there's just, you're talking about the old stuff. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and don't forget they died. This is the bread that came down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. It's like he's going like this. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. He's, always, he's already getting to the edge here. People are going, woo. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another. Okay, no surprise there. Saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is just, this is confusing stuff. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live, and I live because of the Father. The one who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but in contrast, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, you got Jews just freaking out right about now. And if you keep reading down here, this is when some of the, they left. They couldn't take it. Because, you know, to say, as they had just said in the previous slide, to eat his flesh, well, that's bad enough. But when he said, drink the blood, that put it over the top. You do, that's one of the parts of the Mosaic Law is guess what you never do is drink blood. You get rid of the blood. You eat the flesh, that's Okay. What did you eat in the Passover lamb? You ate the flesh. That's okay. What did you do with the blood? You put it on the lintel. You didn't drink it. So when Jesus said this, they were freaking out. It was like, what are you talking about, man? It's, it's a completely human response to this, completely human, predictable response. Some people are going to say, this guy's crazy. Other people are like, I think I know who he is, and i got to figure this out. Now, remember, there are some loose analogies that some people would get from the Old Testament. <clears throat> like we had Ezekiel, and then later in the book of Revelation, where like they eat the scroll, and you eat God's word, and when you eat it, it becomes part of you. And, be, and now it's, it's inside you, and it becomes who you are. And then you have negative examples of God's judgment, like you're drinking the wine of God's wrath. You drink the wine, and it makes you drunk, and it's in you, and it destroys you. So the idea of eating something so that you can have the consequence or relate to it, is in fact an Old Testament idea. So you can see how this kind of relates to that. But it's such strong language. Now remember, this doesn't relate as given. It doesn't relate directly to communion or the Last Supper, because no one they're not talking about the Last Supper. Um, anyways. So now, the Last Supper. 
Luke 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remember that? Remember that? Which is called the Passover, they're at the same time. Remember that goes all the way back to Exodus. Was approaching, and the chief priests and scribes are trying to find a way to put him to death, Jesus, since they were afraid of the people. So, Passover's coming, it's right, it's right around the corner. Now the first day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Why? Were you going to sacrifice the lamb? So you can eat it. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. Well, remember, when you think Passover, and then the new version of Passover, you're eating something. That's, you're eating something. There's meaning here, and you're eating something. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's a different topic. <laughs> but again, what are we talking about? Eating. So now we're going to jump to actually what Paul says. It's in the Gospels, it's given, but we're going to go to Paul's version of what is said. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the, oh, new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance or in memorial of me. So just a quick word, um, kind of as an aside. Some people don't like to to say that John 6, which is what we just read when Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's true food and all that. Um, the performers didn't like that because in Roman Catholicism, he has something called what the Eucharist or the transubstantiation, trans-substance, the changing of a substance, where the, they claim the priest has authority to bless the bread and the, and the wine, and it becomes a literal uh, bread or the body or flesh and blood of Christ. And that's a Catholic thing, a Roman Catholic thing as part of their doctrine, which was invented later, of course. But So a lot of people will, I think some of the performers, really didn't like John 6 relating it to communion on the Last Supper because they thought it maybe gave support for the, the Roman Catholic version of stuff. So that's just out there, FYI. Um, but you see, and, and the commentaries acknowledge that, it's all the same subject matter. There's this intense symbolism and it's more than just eating something, but it becomes part of you. Uh, I, I mean, I, I must admit, it makes me think about when Jesus says that it's not, or we say, it's not I who live, but Christ in me. How do you get something in you? Well, you eat it. You know, you eat it. Um, so for the church, the Last Supper, so Paul continues. So he just, he just quoted what had happened, but now he's talking, of course, to the church in Corinth. And then he says, okay, okay, you guys. Okay, now we're talking to you guys. Enough. We talked about the history of it. Next verses. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, as often as you eat it, what was the command back at the Passover? It was to be a memorial every year forever. 
course, they didn't really have the word forever, but looking into the distance. Um, it's an all-the-time thing. It's not just once. It's a memorial. It's all the time. So when we get now to the Passover, lo and behold, or the Last Supper, lo and behold, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, as often as. So this is something that's going to be happening. It is our memorial. We have a memorial. We have remembrance. And what also does it do? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Because as stated, this intense symbolism, we're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But a person must examine himself and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. So there's one thing, which is why some churches are very exclusive about who can take communion because they don't want you to drink judgment upon yourself because you're doing it in a foolish or light manner because that's a big deal. When we have the memorial, we have the, when we have the communion, the Last Supper, that's a very important thing. And Paul warns us about that. But keep going. The crucifixion. So we, got, we jumped out of order there just a smidgen. Let's go back to the crucifixion. John 19. Now then, since it was, it was the day of preparation to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews requested of Pilate that their legs, so this is the, the men on the crosses, the Jews requested of Pilate that their legs be broken and the bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other man who was crucified with him. Remember, they would break your legs so you can't push up and breathe anymore, so then you suffocate and die. It causes you to die quickly. But after they came to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Yet one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also, that, that you also may believe. For these things took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And of course, what do you read in the book of Exodus about the Passover lamb? Do not break the bones. You know, why? <laughs> I guarantee you, some kid back in the Passover... 1500 B.C. says, Dad, why? Because we're, I don't know, because we were told, that's why. Not understanding, it was a 1500-year-old prophecy about the true Passover lamb. So, a quick comparison. The Passover lamb was an unblemished male, no broken bones, and you ate it. Christ, the unblemished male, he was sinless. He may have had pimples. I mean, whatever. Uh, that doesn't mean he's, he's unblemished in that he was sinless. No broken bones broken when he died on the cross, which we just read. And, well, the Last Supper, this is my body. This is my blood. Eat it. We're eating. The Passover, the Last Supper, is associated with eating. And, of course, there's problems with the church, and this is actually an earlier chapter in Corinthians from what we just read with Paul. But it's interesting, he, he's ta- there's, a, there's an issue going on here, but then he, we're kind of jumping in here a little bit. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, 
Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, meaning the leaven being a sinful representation? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover. So Christ is our Passover now. So not the, not the lamb from before, but now, or a physical lamb that you eat, but Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let's celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, you remember, unleavened bread. What's this associated with? The Passover. He had the Passover, and he had the feast of unleavened bread. But now what's happening, Christ is our Passover now. We have the Last Supper, and do we eat in lamb, and do we eat in unleavened bread for seven days? No. We have communion, and our unleavened bread is your attitude. <laughs> How much sin are you? Are you leavened bread because of your sin making you all up like this? Or are you leavened, meaning your sin is not growing in you? You have the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's how we celebrate the festival. So we do. You celebrate the feast, but not once a year, not on Passover. We do that all the time. So what happened at the Last Supper, and this is a little misleading, um, or this has many interpretations, but now we're going to see this whole, we haven't talked much about covenants and how the idea of Passover is this, almost this first domino. You talk about first domino that falls, and then boom, 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 boom. I think it's a good analogy. Passover, the Last Supper, which is done at the actual Passover, right, is the first domino that's going to fall. So what are we going to read? Well, we're going to go back 600 years before Christ, about 900 years after Moses. Jeremiah has a prophecy, and this is a famous prophecy. <laughs> Jeremiah 31. Behold, days are coming, coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So this is right smack dab in the middle of the old one. The Lord is prophesying, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which was Passover. And the, and the events immediately following it. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And we've talked about that, that, that Sinai was the great marriage. But the Passover was the freedom and the event and the Passover lamb and the are you ready and let's leave and go to Mount Sinai, which is where like the wedding was. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And of course, what's the obvious comparison what did Moses come down with? Rock. That's where the law was written. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts. This is different. This is different. See, when people read this, you know, from Jeremiah in the, in the sixth centuries following, like, when is this going to happen? What's going on here? This is kind of different. This is, this is different. What's going on here? Um, there's a new covenant coming? Really? 
And it's not like the old one. So what happened at the last summer? What we just read was fulfilled. It's the beginning of the entire fulfillment of the new covenant. What did Jesus say? This is the new covenant in my blood. He just said it. What happened to the old Mosaic covenant? Well, Hebrews has something to say about that, and it's not subtle. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry to the extent that he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Oh, let's talk about judgment. It's not only a new covenant, it's a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been free of fault, Mosaic covenant, no circumstances would have been sought for a second. For in finding fault with the people, he says, and then in Hebrew, because what he quotes, he quotes Jeremiah, what we just read. When he says, quote, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, the Mosaic covenant. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. Hebrews 10, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of those things itself, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year, make those who approach perfect. Otherwise, you know, they're doing this stuff all the time. Otherwise, they would have not ceased to be offered. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have been conscious of sins. So in other words, if you sacrifice every year, if it has a value, then eventually you pay for your sins and you're done. You stop. But it never stopped. It's continuous. Why? Because it doesn't end up accomplishing anything. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, which is why he had to do it over and over and over again, the actual sacrifices, the Day of Atonement and all that. Hebrews 10, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, you have not desired sacrifice and offering. That's interesting. Jesus said that, but you have prepared a body for me. After saying above, sacrifices and offering and whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, the first covenant. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, Jesus. He, Jesus, takes away the first in order to establish the second. How much simpler could it be? By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So what happened at Mount Sinai after the first Passover? God made a covenant with the, call it the new nation of Israel, because they had been slaves before, kind of disheveled and whatever. The new nation, and he made a covenant with them. And what happened to that covenant? He took it away, it's obsolete, it's gone. So if God's covenant with the people is gone, national Israel, what does that mean? The relationship is also gone. How else, what other conclusion can you possibly come to? The, the covenant is gone. Covenant comparison, using some of the words. The Mosaic covenant is the first, but it had a fault. It's obsolete. It's growing old. It's about to disappear. It's only a shadow. It's not the true form of something. 
It's offered every year. It's a reminder of sins. It cannot take away sin. And it was taken away by Jesus. What about the Christ covenant in Jesus? It's the second. It's a more excellent ministry. It's a better covenant. It's not like the old covenant. It's the body of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. It takes away sin. It's once for all time, not every year, once. And it's established by Jesus. Big difference. A whole lot of negatives in one, a whole lot of positives in the other. Now, the covenant timing, and again, this has to do with um, all the stuff that you just can't cover. It's just these topics are too big. You're going to talk about these for months. I mean, really, you can't. Months. Um, because the, 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 the Passover is not the instant, is not the installment of the covenant. The covenant comes at Mount Sinai. With the tent, they got the temple, and God comes down, and they get the priesthood, and they get all this, the law, they get everything, and then God marries them. But remember, what did you have? You had the Passover is like the first domino, and they, they have freedom, and they leave. They go, get your staff, you're going to go, and you're going to go join God. It's the first domino. So the original Passover preceded the actual covenant given at Mount Sinai. This was the declaration of freedom, if you will. They were, Pharaoh said, go, go. At Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, or the tent was built, right? That's where the God was. He came down, a symbol of the marriage. He was in the midst of the tent, uh, I mean, in the midst of the camp, in the tabernacle, in the, right in the middle. At Mount Sinai, the covenant was established. Israel was solidified as a nation. And that's where we had all the counting of the tribes and, and numbers and all that stuff, like who's, who's who. God married Israel, but Israel massively broke the covenant. Massively broke the covenant. Read the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was established for the first time in Scripture in Exodus 19. That's the first time the kingdom of God concept was introduced. But the covenant timing for Jesus, so you have kind of the similarity because the Last Supper at Passover, what Jesus literally with his disciples in the upper room, he has the Passover meal, and he says, this is the, my body, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. The Last Supper, Passover, preceded the actual second covenant established by Jesus at his death, you read Hebrews, and subsequent visit to the heavenly temple with his own blood. Oh, my. This is one of the, I wanted to cover all this, and I went, this is not going to happen. There's no way you can cover it. Because just like Moses had the temple and the sacrifices and the blood and the presence of God in the temple... Well, Jesus did the same thing, but he did it in the heavenly temple, and he didn't go in with an animal's blood. He went in with his own blood because this was the real deal. This wasn't something you're going to do once and then have a memorial all the time as something that didn't accomplish anything. This is, you might say, even though we talked about Moses and the Passover, you might even say, this is the Passover that Jesus did. Jesus' own body, remember John 1.14? It says he tabernacled among us, God in our midst, walking around. Well, it's the same thing happened with the Jews in the desert. The temple was in the midst of the people, and it walked with the people. Well, Jesus' body was God in human flesh, and, the, and it said that he tabernacled among us. He walked among us. Church is established. Jesus is the bridegroom and church is the bride. Remember, they were married in Mount Sinai, and now we have a wedding. Jesus is the head. 
The church is the body, and the analogy is made is that the man is the head and the woman is the body, and all these analogies about marriage and Jesus and the church. The nation of Israel's covenant with God comes to an end because that covenant came to an end. How many ways can you read it? It tells us distinct. Done. New covenant with remnant. The kingdom of God with Jesus Christ as the king is established. You know, the first thing what Jesus said in the, in the government, you know, behold, the time has come, fulfilled. Believe the gospel in the kingdom of God, basically. He mentions the kingdom of God as the first thing. And the kingdom of God in Christ will have no end. The kingdom of God, the Old Testament, with God as king and then the, and all these, some good kings, of course, David and bad kings like Saul, uh, they all came to an end. But in Christ, when he's king, his kingdom will have no end. And to finish up, if you just want to listen, I thought it would be appropriate to read this from the book of Revelation. If you want to just listen, as kind of an eye chart, but if you want to listen, this is a scene in the book of Revelation, and I think you'll see why it's relevant. So let me just read it, okay? And then we're going to be done. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed, with seven, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, <clears throat> Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slaughtered. Remember that word? Remember that word? You killed that animal, you slaughtered it. But this lamb is what? After it was slaughtered, it was alive again. That's why Hebrews talks about we have a new and living way to God. Not a dead one like the dead animals of before. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Seven means completeness. So Jesus, the lamb standing, seven horns, he's all powerful. He has seven eyes. He, he's he's uh, omniscient or omnipresent, he sees everything, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came, and the lamb, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So we have a new situation. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Not just Israel. The first covenant was Israel, folk, not you. I'll say it again. Not you, not the British, not the Brazilians, not the Japanese, not the Chinese, not the Indians, not the Africans. It was with Israel, national Israel. 
Now, you could join. It wasn't exclusive to genetics. You could join. It's called a proselyte. You could join and keep the covenant, and you're okie-dokie. But it was national Israel. Now what's happening? And you purchase people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered. They mention it again. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing, and I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's do that too. <laughs> 